It's in your name we pray, amen. I want to talk today about uh, Moses. We've been going through a series uh, called Failing Forward. We're talking about some of the, the Bible characters that we know so well and the ways that they failed and then how it moved them forward in their own faith. And so kind of the big idea today is that we're looking to do God's will, God's way. So we're, we're looking for opportunities and times where we, and many, many of you maybe know this, where there's times that we can do the right thing, but we do it in the wrong way. <laughs> And so we're going to look at some ways that, that Moses had done that and maybe give us a little idea of how we've done that. Now, it may be hard for you to imagine, but there was a time when I had hair. Uh, I know, lush, thick, uh, dirty blonde hair. Uh, it was kindergarten, Miss Baker's class, and uh, it was great. Now, I, so we were standing in line. Now, if you remember kindergarten, you remember how important it is, you know, standing in line and no cutting and all those kinds of rules that we make up, you know, kindergarten. And so we were standing there. I was here. My best friend Jeff was here, and Vicki Joe Harris was right here, okay? So Jeff was annoying me so much, I wanted to move, so I just, I broke the rule. I got, I moved, and I got in front of Vicki Joe Harris. Now, I don't know if Jeff liked Vicki Joe Harris. I don't know if he, whatever, his sense of justice was somehow offended by that. But he reached over her and grabbed some of my hair and said, no cutting. And he yanked a clump of my precious, I didn't realize how precious, uh, my hair out, you know, and said, no cutting. And, and the thing is, is, again, I don't know why he did that. Maybe he, I was annoying him too, or he just liked Vicki Joe Harris and wanted to impress her, something like that. But... Uh, his, he had a good sense of justice. It was, it was maybe a right thing to do. I shouldn't have cut. But he, he did it in the wrong way, right? He, uh, there's times that, that we will do the right thing in the wrong way. And in our discipleship of Jesus, uh, we need to understand that the means are as important as the end. That obedience is, to God is not just in doing the right thing, but it's in the means. It's, it's, it's in the getting there. That the journey is important as the, as the destination. That disobedience in pursuit of a righteous cause is disobedience. So that's kind of the point of our, our, our series in Failing Forward. We're gonna say that we fail, but God is faithful. We say that? We fail, God is faithful. Now there's a lot of verses uh, with today's lesson and our sermon, and so uh, I'm, rather than have them all on the screen and things like that, I'd really rather you just take out your Bible, so if you wanna turn it on or open the pages or whatever, I would, I would much rather you have your head down than your head up looking at the Bible. So take out your Bible. We're gonna be in Exodus and Numbers if you wanna find those toward the beginning of the Bible. Now there's a... Um, a lot of us have a lot of favorite Bible characters. I'm one of those people, but I have a lot of favorite, you know, ice creams, movies, and various smoked meats, too. So I'm just a person that has lots of favorites. But um, Moses is definitely one of the three favorite Bible dudes for me. And again, we, we talked about this when we talked about Abraham, that sometimes we look at Bible, the Bible people as if they're on a different plane or they're just so different. But you're going to see Moses is very much like us. And my heart goes out to him because he... Uh, lost is cool <laughs> several times, and it really cost him. Now, if you're a parent, you know what it's like when your kids are bratty. Yeah? Can you get an amen? Okay, yeah. So, but now imagine Moses with hundreds of thousands of bratty adults. Okay, that's what he was dealing with because we, we, you know, it's one thing to be around bratty kids, but when you're around bratty adults, that's even worse. <laughs> the bratty adults are, are even worse. But for the most part, he kind of keeps it together, but he loses his cool a couple times. Now, usually I like to call it going Ralphie. If you remember the Christmas story movie, the kid, little kid Ralphie, you know, he's a super nice kid, long fuse, but Scott Farkas just did it one too many times, picked on him as a bully, and he just lost it. Remember, and he starts beating up Scott Farkas. And so I used to say when somebody has a long fuse and a big bang, uh, they just go Ralphie, and they just lose themselves. And so uh, Moses, a couple times here, goes Ralphie, and it doesn't work out well for him. So 
I do think, though, that overall, he was a really great guy, loved the Lord, wanted badly to, to obey him. And so we're going to look, though, at a couple times that he failed by doing the right thing in the wrong way. So number one, and this is a lesson to us, is to be careful of following God's will with unrighteous actions. Now, I know that we, would all, we all say we want to follow God's will. I, I think that's a good and noble cause, but we need to be careful not to do it in unrighteous ways. So let me give you a little backstory. So we've got Abraham. We talked about him two weeks ago. Called out of Babylon, moved to the promised land. God was going to bless him. Promised all these things. And then uh, we all, I, I always do this, do this with the kids where we say, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. Okay, that was the line. So Abraham's son, Isaac, then Jacob, and then Joseph. Joseph's brothers uh, were jealous of him. They sold him into slavery. To, he went down to Egypt, uh, rose in through the ranks, became basic, basically vice pharaoh, and uh, protected the people of Egypt from famine. But there was famine also in the land of Israel. And so uh, Joseph's brothers, all the sons of Jacob, came down to Egypt to get some food, not realizing that Joseph was there. It's a long story. You should read it sometime if you don't know it. And so Joseph rescues the rest of his family. And so then they're living in Egypt, and they have the favor of Pharaoh for a while. That Pharaoh dies. All of the Israelites are now living in Egypt and they lose, a new pharaoh comes who doesn't want the Israelites around. And so they end up being 400 plus years in slavery in Egypt. And um, during the time of Moses, right before Moses, they were killing all the baby boys because they didn't want the, the Israelites to, up, to have an uprising, a rebellion against Pharaoh. So they were killing them. Moses' mother saves him, puts him in a basket, puts him in the river, floats him on down toward the palace, hoping, and it happened, that Pharaoh's daughter would find him and adopts him, and he becomes a part of the Egyptian palace. So he becomes a prince in Egypt with all of the privileges of Egyptian monarchy. So God's will for Moses was for him to know that he was Hebrew, to help his Hebrew family, and to know that, he, of course, he wasn't an Egyptian. He's a member of Pharaoh's house, but he's conflicted now about the mistreatment of all the Hebrews by these Egyptians. And so he is compelled to do something. He has a righteous cause. He wants to do something to help his Hebrew family. And so we'll look here at Exodus chapter 2, verse 11 through 15. And here's what it says. One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together. And he said to the man in the wrong, why do you strike your companion? He answered, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, surely the thing is known. When Pharaoh heard of it, he sought to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian. Hmm. So as a prince of Egypt, Moses may have just thought that he had immunity to take action, to kill an Egyptian, and to rescue the Hebrews on his own. Maybe he thought he had proven himself, let me kill this Egyptian, and I'll prove to the rest of the Hebrews that we can have this rebellion, and we can, we can be united, they'll accept me as their leader, and we can you know, overthrow the Egyptian pharaoh. Well, the next day, of course, so he kills the Egyptian, buries him, the next day he sees two Hebrews fighting, and he realizes that's not going to happen. They call him a murderer. They call him out. Pharaoh finds out he has to flee. So he flees uh, out to a land of Midian far away. So Moses wanted to do God's will, but he chose unrighteous actions to do it. Right? Now, this just reminds me of something that I think that we're all familiar with. There's times where in your life when you know God's will and you know that God's will would direct you left. You're just going along. God's will, he calls you to go left. 
but you don't want to go left, right? Um, you actually want to go right. It just makes more sense to you, right? Because we're, all, we're, we're so smart. We have common sense. God says, well, I'd like you to go this way. We say, yeah, but Lord, uh, it doesn't make sense to me. It's, it's not comfortable to do that. And so to show our devotion, we make a bargain with God. We say, God, I know you want me to go left, but what if, what if I just went double hard right? What if I like go this my way, but I, I, I'm so dedicated to going my way that I'll just show you my devotion to you and you're really gonna like it, promise. Lord, you're really gonna like it. <laughs> Does that ever work out? It doesn't, right? And, and it's, it's such a false idea that we get within our own head. See, I think there's this danger in our culture because we trust our instincts. We trust our common sense. And I think what happens is we think that we are, we are a mistaker, not a sinner. And that's a mistake in itself. You see, we don't just make mistakes. We don't just, mistakes are, you know, missing layups, mix, mi mixing up your words or guessing wrong on Jeopardy. Those are mistakes. And we do that. But we're not just a mistaker. We're sinners. Sinner, sin is willful disobedience to God. It's when God says, I want you to do this. And we're like, I'm not doing that. Or he says, I don't want you to do that. And we're saying, I'm doing it anyway. And we know that feeling. And we'll all do it every day. And it's, we do it far more than we realize. And nobody is immune to that. And I guarantee everybody sitting here and myself, we don't even live up to our own standards of morality. <laughs> right? We have an idea of what right and wrong is. And we don't even follow that. Think about how much less that is than a holy God's standard for morality. And so, the best news actually that we could probably hear today and some really need to hear it is that you're a traitorous rebel against the holy God. All of us. And we all fall short. All of our righteousness fails. It's not enough. And you see, when we, when we think that we are good, then we, don't need, we think that we don't need a savior. But when we realize we're never going to be good enough we might cry out for mercy, which is what God would intend. See, we would, uh, if we don't fail, then we don't feel a need for God to be faithful. Now, that sounds like bad news for sure. Like, way, way to kick off the message, Thielen. You know, just to get us some bad news immediately. And it sounds like bad news. It sounds kind of like a downer. But the good thing is, we have good news, Right? We have good news that the gospel, that's what the word gospel means. And in 1 John 1, 9, it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. That's the promise. God just says, I want you just to admit the sin that you have, if you can just admit it. So Moses thought he needed to help save his people from the oppression of the Egyptians. And that was a good thing. It was a noble calling. It was definitely God's will. But killing an Egyptian and hiding it was not the means to get there. God called Moses left, and in his impulse, he goes Ralphie, and he goes double hard right and kills an Egyptian. Number two, uh, second failure by Moses is, and this is for us, to be careful of not following God's will with fearful words, of giving God excuses and fearful words as to why we cannot follow his, his will. So following the murder, it says he flees to Midian, a land far off. He marries Zipporah. She's the priest, uh, priest's daughter. And he has children with her. And he tends sheep for the priest of Midian, Jethro. And he's got a good life there. He spends the first 40 years in Egypt. He spends the next 40 years in the, in the fields in the desert of Midian. He goes from the palace to the prairie. He goes from commanding soldiers to tending sheep. 
And as a shepherd, he would have known, he had lots of experience, he would have known you constantly have to move the sheep to get new fields and water and things like that. And so he would have known where the water spots are, where the places were, and he takes a flock to Mount Horeb, which is also known as Mount Sinai. Sound familiar? <laughs> it's where Moses would get later the, the Ten Commandments, where he would meet up with uh, his brother Aaron to take them back to Egypt. But let's look at Exodus 3. Verse 1, it says, Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not being burned. And when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the afflictions of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of the land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Great promise of God. We skip down to verse 10. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, so here comes the fearful words. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? Lord, why, why are you sending me? But the Lord said, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. And they continue this conversation. It goes on for another chapter. And in this conversation, Moses gives no less than five excuses to God as to why he can't obey God's will. And each time, five responses from the Lord and four out of the five that God gives him, God basically says, listen, Moses, I will be. He says, I will be who I will be. So these fearful excuses for not obeying God's will, God is saying, listen, Moses, I know you have these things, but it's not about you. It's about me. I think you'll find these excuses rather familiar. <laughs> I think we've all given these to the Lord, okay, as to maybe why we can't do something that he's calling us to do. In verse, chapter 3, verse 11, first Moses says, here's the five, these are your fill-ins, but he says, I'm unworthy, Lord, I'm unworthy. That's what we heard before. He says, Lord, who am I to bring the people out of Israel? But the Lord says, I will be with you. So the Lord basically tells Moses, listen, Moses, I know you're not worthy, but I'm worthy and I will be with you. The second one, verse 13, he says, but Lord, I'm a nobody. He says, when I, when I say who sent me and they ask what your name is, what do I say? And the Lord says, I am who I am, which is great. That's his name. I am who I am. And it really is, I, I will be who I will be. He says, Moses, you think you're a nobody, but I'm everything and I'm in charge. And Moses, you know, he tries it again. <laughs> He says, you know, but Lord, uh, verse 11 in chapter, or verse 1 of chapter 4, he says, but Lord, I'll be rejected. And then Moses answered, but behold, they won't believe me or listen to my voice, for they'll say, the Lord didn't appear to you. And God says, listen, Moses, I'm going to give you signs. That staff you're holding will turn into a snake, and you turn it back. He says, you, you can take your hand, stick it in your cloak, it'll come out, and you turn, it'll turn leprous you know, white as snow, and then you can put it back in and pull it out, a little, little trick for everybody to, you'll turn water to blood. You, I'll give you ways to show people that you're for real. He says, Moses, you will be rejected, but I won't be. 
And he comes back again. He's trying, man. He's trying his best to give God all these excuses. He says, but Lord, I don't have the skills. But Moses said to the Lord, oh, Lord, I'm not eloquent, either in the past or since you've spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech and of tongue. And you can hear God starting to get a little mad, right? You know when your kids give you four excuses in a row, by the, at least the fourth time, you're kind of like, all right, you know, it's getting a little old, right? So the Lord says, who made man's mouth? <laughs> who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. He says, Moses, come on, I know you don't have the skills. That's why I called you, but I'm gonna give them to you. And then Moses just, he just, last ditch effort, Hail Mary passed. He says, Lord, I don't wanna go. <laughs> he says, I'm afraid. Uh, he says, oh Lord, please send someone else. <laughs> Chapter four, uh, chapter 4, verse 13. You ever said that to the Lord? Lord's wanting you to do things. You're going back and forth. And finally you said, Lord, I don't want to do it. It doesn't work very well, does it? <laughs> Hasn't ever worked for me. Very little success with that. God's not having it. It says, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he promised, he says, oh, listen, I'll send your brother Aaron with you. He'll speak for you, basically. He just kind of kicks him and says, now you're going. No more excuses. Go. He says, you can be afraid, Moses, but I'm going to help you overcome your fear. So each time Moses comes with these fearful words, excuses, why he can't do God's will, and God says, no, 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 no. It's not about you, Moses. It's about me. And I kind of think that that's the way the Lord deals with us. <laughs> when you come with your pity little excuses as to why you can't obey God's will, then he's gonna say, yeah, 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 that's fine, but it's not about you. It's about me. You see, Moses has been this proud prince of Egypt. He goes through this difficulty He's humbled because he killed this man and buried him. He had to flee. Now he's a lowly shepherd. But now God can use him. He's a murderer, shepherd, stripped of all his privilege. Now he's prepared for a greater work that God can use him for. See, if he would have killed the Egyptian and all the Hebrews rallied behind him and he's caused an uprising to overthrow Egypt right then, he would have thought he did it himself. But God knocks him down, knocks him low, so that God will get all the credit. Yeah, you're right, Moses, it's not you, it's me, God says. So be careful of giving your fearful excuses to God as to why you can't obey. So there's those two. Don't let unrighteous actions keep you from following his will and don't let fearful words. And then number three is be careful of following God's will with a frustrated heart. So they're moving through the desert. If you know the story, fast forwarded some. <laughs> Plagues coming on the Egyptians. The Egyptians finally let them go. They get, they get to the edge of the Red Sea. God does this miracle of parting the Red Sea. All the Hebrews go through the Red Sea and then he collapses the sea on the Egyptian soldiers and now they're free, but they've got to travel to the promised land through the desert. And so, man, I'll tell you this, hundreds of thousands of people traveling through the desert and they are a miserable bunch. They're unbelievable. You've really got to read it for yourself through these chapters. But they've been slaves for 400 years. They've seen God do these amazing miracles of plagues and Passover and parting the sea. And they can do nothing but gripe and complain like petulant children or like you and me. Okay? Because you know we'd be doing the same thing. So in Exodus chapter 15, immediately after the Red Sea crossing, they're going through the desert. And what would be the greatest need if you're taking hundreds of thousands of people through the desert? What would be your greatest need? Water. Water. Fresh water. Drinkable water. 
Now Moses, remember, had spent 40 years as a shepherd in this region. He knows where the wells are. He knows where the, the, there is water. So I think he pushes people to get to this place where he says, we've got some fresh water here. And they finally get there and then they taste the water and it's bitter. Oh, Moses, oh God, man, last time I was here, the water tasted great. But everybody's grumbling now. Moses, why'd you do this? Why'd you do this? God says, hey, throw a log in the, in the water and all of a sudden it becomes sweet. And he calls that place Marah which means bitterness. Remember that. Because that word marah, meaning bitterness, is actually used elsewhere when it, the Bible is referring to a rebellious son, somebody who's stubbornly defiant. And if you'll remember, the, the Hebrews were described as God's firstborn son. And so it's like Moses through this water saying, Israel, you are like this rebellious son. You are bitter. But then, look, you go to verse 27 of, of Exodus, and, and, and he says, Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palm trees, and they encamped there by the water. This is immediately afterwards. If they would have just rounded the corner, if they would have just stopped complaining for a minute and trusted God. Around the corner, God is gonna supply all their need with 12 springs, one for every tribe. The number 70 with the palms is, is extremely important in the scriptures too. But God will give you all you need, but it's gonna be in his time. If you can keep yourself from complaining before you get there. <laughs> Everybody ever noticed that it seems like God is rarely early, but never late? You know, God, God's going to bless you. He's going to provide for you, but he's going to make you sweat it out for a while. He's not just going to dump it on you at the beginning so you're a spoiled brat. So go through the struggle, walk through the desert a little bit, trust him without griping, and you might just see around the corner that he's got some springs of water for you. There's so much more to this story. You've really got to read it. <laughs> Have I said that before? Can you read this on your own, please? It's so fantastic. You're going to love it. But in Exodus 17, so a couple chapters ahead, they're back on the road again. There's no more water again, and now we've still got what? Grumbling. Okay, there's more grumbling. So therefore, and this is chapter 17, verse 2 and 3 of Exodus. Therefore the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? See, Moses knew, you're not arguing against me, you're arguing against the Lord. But the people thirsted there for water, and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us out of Egypt to kill us and our children and, with our, and our livestock with thirst? You know, why did you take us out of slavery, Moses? <laughs> That's supposed to be funny. Uh, verse six. Uh, um, a little too sophisticated, I realize. My sarcasm. So anyway, verse six. Then the Lord says to Moses with the people, behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb, and you shall strike the rock, and water shall come out of it, and the people will drink. You notice anything about the location? Where are they? Horeb, Mount Sinai, the place where God met him at the bush. Uh, anybody, know, anybody notice where the Lord is? Where's the Lord? He's on the rock. He's on the rock. Uh, and what was Moses supposed to do to the rock? Strike it with a staff, Right? Now, here's, this is really interesting. Again, so much more to this. We can talk later if you've got more questions. But some interpreters have seen this, this identification between the presence of God himself, perhaps, you know, the, the pre-incarnate Christ, Jesus, before the manger, because Jesus is God and he's eternal and he was there. The presence of God and the rock itself. In fact, 
Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 says, when he's describing this scene, and he says, and the rock was Christ. Jesus is the rock, you know, providing living water. And so what you, what you see here is that God tells Moses to strike the rock. And the striking is the same striking word as it used when Moses struck the Egyptian to kill him. So it's a violent striking. It's the picture here of God allowing man to strike him as a way for God to provide for them. It's, it's God saying, I'm willing to take the wrath of people to show my love for you so that I could provide something for you. Sound familiar? The cross. This is who our God. He says, I will take the wrath of people to provide for your salvation. It's amazing. But Moses then, so the water flows out and Moses called this place uh, Massah, which means testing, and Meribah, which means quarreling. So you've got bitterness, testing, and quarreling. Okay, so then, again, as you go into the story, if you know, if you're familiar with it, but Soon after that, they get up to the edge of the promised land. Moses says, okay, I need 12 spies, one from each tribe. Go into the promised land, check it out, make sure that it's all good so that you know, we can go. So they go and they say, oh, it's a land flowing with milk and honey. The land is so awesome. But there are giants there, which as an A's fan, I can never understand why people would be afraid of giants, but whatever. Um, so, but he says, there's giants. And so the people lose faith and they don't go in. They don't trust God to go in and, and they've seen him do these amazing miracles and yet they lose faith right at the end. And they fail to go into the land. And so God has them where now he says, okay, this generation, you're going to wander in the desert for 40 years. 40, you're going to die in this desert. Your kids will go in. Now God provides for them as they're wandering through the desert. He gives them manna, which is like bread stuff. He gives them quail. He gives them water. He doesn't let their clothes and shoes wear out. So he provides for them. But he says, but you're not going to get the blessing because you didn't trust me. And now, (laughs) here's Moses (laughs) For 40 years, wandering in the desert with these petulant children, adults, can you imagine how much they would drive him nuts? Okay, again, your kids drive you nuts. Imagine hundreds of thousands of adults whining and complaining. And so you just see the, st- the straws just stacking up on that camel's back. Think about it. They're complaining about no water and no food. They complain that the food was better in Egypt, you know, when they were slaves. Um, there's several rebellions and uprisings. Even his brother and sister rise up against him. There's wars to fight. They try to pass through, and they got to fight these people who are saying, you can't pass through. They get impatient when Moses is up on Mount Sinai, and they build a golden calf and start worshiping. And he's like, what are you worshiping this golden calf for? And they get to the edge of the promised land. They don't enter because they're afraid. They're wandering in the desert for 40 years, and and then they blame Moses for it. They said, you're the one who brought us out of Egypt. Now listen, Moses has got a really long fuse. <laughs> but 40 years later, here they are back at Meribah and Massah. Okay, back at testing and quarreling. And there's still no water. But there's still plenty of bitterness and testing and quarreling. <laughs> and so... After all that wandering and seeing God provide in all these different ways and complaining, um, Moses has to react. Now, I'm not guessing. I know for sure I would have gone Ralphie by now. Like, I just, I don't know how he held it together for 40 years listening to all that. And they're complaining and saying that Moses made them leave slavery in Egypt. It's, It's his fault. So he just loses his cool. I got to tell you a story about me losing my cool one time because I'm usually kind of like long fuse, big bang kind of guy. So we did a youth mission trip 
Jonathan, I don't think Jonathan was on it himself, but his little brother was. Uh, so that's why I figured I'd tell the story. But we used to have this old bus at my church in Livermore. It was a big 25-passenger bus, and we painted it white, and we put black stickers all over it. We called, it looked like a cow, and we called it the holy cow. We put a little holy cow sticker on it, and we, on the back of it, we said, got Jesus, because I figured, you know, if anybody's going to rear-end us, the last thing they're going to see is, is got Jesus, you know, and that'll be it. And then they're going to enter eternity with Jesus' name in front of them. And so, anyway, it was a lot of fun, and we took this trip to Mexico. It would have been 1999, and we did a uh, VBS, we got hundreds of kids, and it's the last day, and you know, you're all excited and stuff like that, the kids are all waving, uh, you know, bye-bye, we're getting ready to drive off, and um, everybody's screaming and yelling, and, and Nathaniel, Jonathan's little brother, was, he's a class clown, he's hilarious, but you know, sometimes when somebody's hilarious, it's like, dude, stop, you know, at some point they got to stop, because he would do anything for the joke, and so he had a megaphone, and he stands up on the seats in the back of the bus and pops his head through the, the air vent, and he's yelling, adios, adios, to all the kids as we drive off, which is great, that's fine. But then he decided, this is going to be really funny as I come back down into the bus. So he's in, down in the bus, and he's yelling, you know, in the megaphone with everybody. Now, understand, there's, it's me and 24 teenagers, because all of the adults decided we're going to ride in the van with the air conditioning. So Chris is fine with the 24 teenagers over in the, the, um, in the van. That's whatever. And so, you know, Nathaniel's got this, and he's shouting on the megaphone in the bus. Now, there's a kid named Dan. He already doesn't like Nathaniel. And Nathaniel happens to just shout in Dan's ear. Not a smart move. Dan was kind of a guy that you didn't want to really mess with too much. And so he made, uh, there were words exchanged. There was promises about where the megaphone was going to end up. Um, something like that. And all of a sudden, and I'm driving. It's twilight. They're trying to read the signs in Espanol to get us back to the hotel. You know, and I'm driving, and I'm looking in the mirror, you know, the big mirror. I'm like, hey, 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 you know, and pretty soon I was yelling and all this. All of a sudden, I see arms flying, and I, I'm pretty sure the megaphone didn't get to where it was supposed to go. But um, I do know that Megan caught a left hook across the chin. Uh, poor Megan. And so, and, and I, all I could do was yell. I'm try, I can't pull over, and I'm yelling, and I just lost my cool. I went Ralphie. I said, you guys better sit down and shut up. You know, and I made my own promises about where the megaphone was going to go. But, uh, you know, I, I just, and I'm, I'm yelling like, you know, I just lost it. I lost it. And it was, needless to say, it was a pretty quiet ride back to the hotel after that. Um, but I just understand it was like a million teenage straws broke the camel's back on the streets of Tijuana. I just... I'm just telling you, you guys know this feeling. Your kids have brought you there. People in your family have brought you there where you just lose it, right? Well, Moses is now, imagine, 40 years later, he's back at the same place and people are still griping about there being no water. So now, 40 years later, verse, uh, Numbers chapter 20, verse six through eight, and listen to what it says. Then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to the entrance of the tent of meeting and they fell on their faces because the people are griping about no water. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them and the Lord spoke to Moses saying, now pay attention to this, take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron your brother, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. And you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and the cattle. Now, do you notice anything different about this from 40 years ago? I'll wait. Let me get to me in. Okay, yeah. He says, speak to the rock this time, Moses. Last time, what did he do? Struck the rock, right? It's pretty clear, right? No real ambiguity here with the, with the command from the Lord. 
Numbers 20, verse 10. Look at what it says. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to them, and you can just, this is, this is Moses getting ready to go Ralphie here, and he says, here now, you rebels. <laughs> you know he's just like, had it. Shall I bring water for you out of this rock? Remember, it's about him. He's making it about him and his own anger. And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. And water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their livestock. So the Lord was gracious, even in his sin. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, you know the Lord just pulled them aside and gave them the fingers, basically like, because you did not believe in me and pulled me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. He doesn't get to go in the promised land. These are the waters of Meribah where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord and through them he showed himself holy. But let me ask you, if you were Moses, let's be honest here. Can you really fault Moses for his frustration here? You know you've been there. Don't, don't lie and tell me you haven't gone Ralphie on your own kids and they deserved it, right? <laughs> I mean, my whole generation was raised on that. We got yelled at by anybody. Like, all my friends' moms yelled at me and went Ralphie on me. And then they'd call my mom, and by the time I got home, said, yeah, I yelled at Chris. And my mom would thank them. It was different back then, right? And we've all been like Moses here. And, but here's the thing. Was this just any old rock that you hit with a stick? No. Remember Paul said, the rock is Christ. And if he says speak, you'd better not strike. He says, because you did not Believe in me or uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people. Moses goes back to mistake number one, trying to fulfill God's will, doing it his own way. And those two strikes were like Moses going double hard right, saying, I'm gonna show off in front of these people. I'm gonna show these people who's boss. And he strikes the rock. But the Lord is holy and you must do it his way. And so don't let the frustration in your heart cause you to forsake his will. And so these three times now, Moses did what he thought was maybe God's will, what he thought was right, but it's gotta be done God's way. And we all do this, where we do what we wanna do or what seems right to us, and we ask God to bless it. And sometimes we do that in place of actually studying the Bible and praying and discerning God's will and knowing him well enough to actually know his way. That's why I never really liked the what would Jesus do, the WWJD thing, because like, you don't know what Jesus would do. You never read your Bible. <laughs> you know, you could do what you think Jesus would do, as your common sense, but Jesus did a lot of things that you wouldn't do. So don't just do what you want to do and think, oh, this is what Jesus would have done. You don't know because you don't read. So read your Bible. Amen. See, this, thank you, yeah. <laughs> see, see, this just calls to mind, that, you know, our, our, our culture is so dumb. We have so many, uh, I mean, in the, in the Hall of Fame of stupid cultural phrases, I've got a few of them. Okay, number one, I think, is you do you. You ever heard that? You heard it. You've used it, maybe. We've, we've, why do we allow this ridiculousness to, to go on? It's nonsense. Why do we allow this? Because what if, you know, you doing you means you get to kick puppies and drive 60 in a residential? Or worse, what if it's rape or murder or hurting kids? What, if, you know, what are we going to do? Just say, well, you know, there's nothing we can do. That's just them being them. No, because the way that we are as humanity, when, we, when, when, when I do me and you do you, it's sin and rebellion leading to judgment by God. That's what you do you is. See, there's times when doing God's will 
God's way, it doesn't seem all that sensical to us. It doesn't feel all that comfortable. It's just not you. It's just not me. And we often try in our own strength, and the Bible calls it doing things in the flesh, and we think we're following God. We're really just doing what we want, and we're asking him to bless it on the backside. And maybe we want to obey God, but we just spaz out and try to do it on our own, by our own means. You see, I think also in this Hall of Fame of stupid cultural phrases is this idea that all roads lead to heaven. See, to me, like this idea that, you know, it, well, it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you believe it sincerely. And, you know, all beliefs are equally valid. That is the ultimate double hard right. Because God's saying salvation is in Christ alone. You get to heaven by Christ. There's, he is, the, you know, going up the mountain. He is the way, the truth, and the life. But then other people are like, well, I don't really like it that way. I mean, that's, that, that doesn't really work for me. And so I know, God, that you said I need to go this way for Christ, but I don't really want to follow that way. So let me just go double hard right with this extra dedication and devotion to a false God. Our culture, culture is all in on it. See, because you can do you spiritually that's fine, but you have to understand that it will then be only you standing before the judgment seat of Christ. And honestly, for me, I'd rather have Christ standing there with me. My advocate, my sacrifice. Because I believe there's only two options. Either you stand there in your own righteousness, which we've pretty much established is not enough, or we stand there in Christ's righteousness through our repentance and our submission to his will. It's one or the other. And you don't want to stand there alone, you doing you. Kevin DeYoung has a great quote. It says, all paths lead to God, but only one path will present you before God without fault and with great joy. So pick a path, any path, and it will take you to God. Trust me, you will stand before him one day. You will meet your maker. You will see the face of Christ. There are many ways up the mountain, but only one will result in life instead of destruction. It's beautiful. So the theme of this, this whole series is failing forward. So what does Moses learn from each of these failures? We're just gonna go quick here. We're gonna see like each of these failures and where later on in his life that he learned from it and he, and he has a, a little bit more of a success. Number one is, is later on he waits for God to fight for him. Remember the first time he kills the Egyptian on his own, he fights for himself. This time he waits for God to fight for him. In Numbers chapter 16, there's a man named Korah. And it says that he gathered 250 chiefs of the congregation, and it says well-known men. And they were all rebelling against Moses and against Aaron. And Moses' first reaction is not to just kill Korah or punish him or anything. It's not murder this time. And in fact, verse 4, it says, when Moses heard of it, he fell on his face. He's pleading for Korah. He has compassion on him. He says, and he said to Korah and all his company, in the morning, the Lord will show you who is his and who is holy, and he will bring him near to him. The one he chooses, he will bring near to him. He says, you know what? This is not my fight. I'm gonna let the Lord decide. So in the morning, we're gonna stand here and the Lord's gonna choose which one is right. Now that's a lot different than just going out and killing the guy. So you gotta read this for yourself. It's better than any movie. So again, chapter number 16, 31, it says, as soon as he had finished speaking all these words, the ground under them split apart and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them up with their households and all the people who belonged to Korah and all their goods. <laughs> the, the, the earth opened up and swallowed them. And then it says, and, uh, so that all that belonged to them went down alive into Sheol and the earth closed over them and they perished in the midst of the assembly. 
And then immediately after that, a fire goes out from the Lord and consumes the 250 other rebels. I don't know what that looks like. I do not want to be in its way, though. Fire from the Lord, 250 people sizzling, just frying. And then, and then, the next day, the people of Israel start grumbling again against Moses because they said, Moses, you killed all those people. What is wrong with you? You just watched the earth split open and fire go out and consume the people that were grumbling, and your first reaction is to grumble. That's amazing. The so Lord goes, Rafi again, sends a plague out, and Moses pleads for that. That's this amazing stuff. And I know it sounds really sensationalistic, and it sounds like the Lord is really harsh and stuff like that, but it is the word of God, and it is true historical narrative. You see, I think God, was, especially back then, God was very concerned about the purity of his people as he brings them into the promised land. These people, that, and he wasn't playing around, obviously. But I think there's something about our culture, again, that denies this part of God, because God ain't playing around now either, I think he dislikes sin as much now as he did back then because he doesn't change. And holiness matters today too. So please don't mistake his patience for him being a softy. But here's the point. Moses didn't take matters into his own hands this time. He, asked, he waited for God and let God fight the battle. The second way, remember when he was giving all the excuses to God, you know, why, all the reasons why he couldn't fulfill his, his will. And now... Later on in the story, he goes before the most powerful man in the world, Pharaoh, and over and over again tells Pharaoh, you need to let your millions of slaves go. And he says those famous four words. Anybody? Let my people, let my people go. <laughs> and he does all that the Lord, so he speaks boldly in the face of a despot who thinks of himself as being the only son of God. So he, comes, he starts out as this, Cocky prince in Egypt becomes a humble shepherd, and now he's this powerful prophet. No more excuses for Moses, only courage. It's great stuff. And then number three, where he fails forward, that we learns from his mistakes, is he treats God as holy. Struck the rock, water came out, was supposed to speak to it the next time. He strikes it again. The Lord says, you don't get to enter the promised land. So, I mean, think about it. That's a real bummer for him. He did all the work and just couldn't stick the landing, like couldn't get into the promised land. It's really too bad. But he learned his lesson. And so his words to the Hebrews at the end of his life is in Deuteronomy chapter 32. And look at what he says. He says, the rock. He's speaking again about the rock, but now he says the rock is God. The rock, his work is perfect for all his ways are justice a God of faithfulness and without iniquity, just and upright is he. He's calling the rock holy. In verse 15, he says, the rock of salvation. In verse 18, he says, the rock that bore you. He knows, my heart was wrong at Horeb when I struck the rock. But before he dies, he tells the Hebrews, he says, listen, you need to follow God with all of your heart. And some of his last words in chapter 32, verse 47 uh, he, he says, take my words to heart. Be careful to do all the words of this law. These are not just empty words, but your very life. See, these three times Moses failed and God was faithful. And just like us, we fail daily and God is faithful daily. And when you look forward, to, look forward in time to the, the life of Jesus, you see that the, the means are as important as the ends. Because the end result for Jesus was always to go to the cross. That was the goal. But for him, being crucified for our sin was, was not the only important thing. It was the most important. 
but he also knew uh, the means are important too, getting there. I ha- he, he wanted to live a perfect life, to prepare his disciples, to heal the brokenhearted, to teach about the kingdom, to show mercy and grace, to heal the sick, to speak against religious hypocrisy, to resist temptation. All of those things leading up to the cross were just as important to Jesus because the means were important as the ends. And so just like Abraham two weeks ago, <laughs> we talked about he died as an old man, ripe of age and satisfied with life. The Bible says that Moses, toward the end of his life, it said he spoke with God as a man speaks with his friend. That's amazing. And Deuteronomy 34 says, and there has not arisen a prophet since in Israel like Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. And none like him for all the signs and the wonders that the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt, to Pharaoh and all the servants and all the land, And for all the mighty power and all the great deeds of terror that Moses did in the sight of all Israel. So he dies a great man despite his failures. Now, for most of us, we've never murdered anyone. We've never argued face to face with God. And we've never took a swing at God. (laughs) But Moses definitely had his moments of failure. But he always fell forward. And he, he kept walking He kept trusting, he kept learning and growing and becoming closer to God to where it would be said of him is that he he knew the Lord face to face and spoke with God as a man speaks with his friend. And I don't know anything that I'd rather have said about me on the day of my death. Let's pray. Father, again, we love you. We thank you, Lord, for men like Moses and those that you've used through the years to, to guide and to lead and to follow and Lord, in all things, we pray that you would help us to do your will and your way. Even when it's uncomfortable, even when it doesn't make sense to us, even when we're afraid, Lord, in all those ways. And, and God, I know that almost every time we've got some people maybe in the room that have never actually taken that first step of deciding to follow you with all of their life, of, of saying that I am a sinner. I can admit that. I need a savior. Lord, I pray that... Um, you're stirring in the hearts of some people here to make that decision to say, I submit today to follow God for the rest of my life. I'll admit that I need Christ's forgiveness. If that's the case, Lord, I pray they'd come and talk to me or somebody else today and let us know. We can get them on that path of we're walking with you. So we love you, God. Um, thank you for a great day. And in all things, we want to give you honor and glory and praise. Amen. Amen. Let me uh, do a little, a little word here.